From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 282. Today's show is brought to you by DoorDash, Pingdom, and Booz Allen. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. It's good to hear your voice, as always, oh, on uh, the Upgrade podcast. We have a wonderful hashtag Snell Talk question this week from Art. Art wants to know, Jason, what is your favorite time travel movie? Oh, boy. There are a lot of great time travel movies. Time travel is nonsense. Uh, a lot of the plots of time travel movies are nonsense. And full of holes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's a whole philosophies about like which kind of time travel, which is hilarious because there is no kind of time travel that works. But like narratively, there are like the kinds where you change the future by altering the past. And they're the ones where the pa- the future can't be changed and all of those things. Anyway, um, I will point people to an episode of The Incomparable, episode 153, titled Monkey with a Tin Foil Sandwich, uh, which includes two of my favorite time travel movies, um, 12 Monkeys, which is a really good movie mm-hmm. starring Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. Uh, That has a very interesting time travel philosophy involving the uh, inviolability of the timeline, which I kind of like. I kind of dig that. That You can send somebody back in time, but everything they do will just cause what already happened to happen. Like there's only one timeline. So if you go back in time and do something, that thing already was always going to happen and you were always going to do it. I like that. Part of the timeline included the going back in time. Like that was just the way that the future was created was because right. the past was altered and there was no right. way it's you like could change it. You go back to stop the Kennedy assassination and somehow what's going to happen is you're going to cause the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, you right? trip and fall on the gun, right? Like, yeah, it's, it, yeah. it's just, it's going to happen. Uh, but my favorite time travel movie also covered in that episode of The Incomparable is, and, and there's a great debate uh, about how you pronounce this word because Prime. it's, it's, it's Prime, yeah, or as I like to call it, uh, Primer. Uh, which is a word that means a uh, it, it's like an educational book that tells you how to do something. Um, but th- there's also a word primer, which generally means like paint that you put on a wall before you paint it a color. Uh, but anyway, people use that pronunciation t- for the meaning of primer too. So you can call it primer if you want. Uh, the director started calling it primer and then he gave up when everybody called it primer. So lesson learned, then he just called it primer after that. However you pronounce it though, I love that movie. It's nuts. It is uh, It is a very different philosophy than 12 Monkeys. Uh, it, it, it kind of continually writes over itself and it's about uh, these two guys in Texas who invent a time machine by accident and um, and keep going back in time and altering things in a extremely confusing and weird way but i love it i love how confusing it is and strange and it was shot for like thirty thousand dollars it's a low 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 budget film um and i love it so that's my favorite time travel movie try check it out primer or primer or whatever p-r-i-m-e-r uh it's uh it's worth uh, i'd say it's not worth a watch it's worth many watches as you (laughs) try to figure out what the heck is happening and then you bring up the big chart on the internet that explains what's happening and then you shake your head and say i I still don't understand it's that kind of movie but i love it i love back to the future it's a great one there are a lot of great time travel movies of Mm -hmm. of different kinds back to the future is a really good one and And there are lots of movies that just include time travel which are good too like sure i th- yeah like avengers yeah yeah actually that's that's a really good one um uh back to the future we talked about this i think at one point when we were talking about back to the future on this show that um if you think about how time travel works in back to the future it gets a little bit disturbing because marty comes back to a world that's different from the world that he left like his parents are uh are are happy and mm-hmm. uh and wealthy 
and he's got a truck and stuff like that. And, you know, th- that makes you ask the question, what happened to that Marty McFly? If because we really he does did it change? again, though, right? And then, like, yeah. Biff's in, like, the power seat and whatever. Like, it's... He messes right. stuff so up. What are the rules there? And did is there another Marty that left that world? And what world did he go to? And there's all... Uh, there, I got a lot of questions about time travel. But anyway, time travel movies are fun, and uh, Primer is my favorite. Thanks, Art. If you would like to send in a Snow Talk question to open the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Snow Talk. It might be included in a future episode. Uh, we should let you know we are recording this on Monday the 27th, which is significant for a reason we'll get to in a bit. But on Tuesday the 28th of January 2020 is Apple's Q4 results, right? For no, the calendar Q- Q4, Q1 2020. That's right. It's holiday um, quarter of, holiday of quarter. Uh, 2019, but it's technically their first fiscal quarter of the mm-hmm. 2020s. Yeah. So that's going to definitely occupy some discussion next week. Um, For sure. You'll be able to see some charts on sixcolors.com where there are currently even more charts, which is just that you got uh, you got a bit chart happy, didn't you, over the last couple of weeks, I think. I, I don't want to commit to it, but I'm I'm kind of trying to do a chart every week. That's like that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Is eat right. fun with charts every week. We'll see how long I stick with it. Till I run out of charts. But I wanted to challenge myself with some recurring bits, so I'm going to try to do a chart well, of the week. And know, so I made some charts. I started with some financial st- charts. There are other charts too that I might make. But I, I kept. And what's funny is every time I write an article about a, a chart uh, in the article, I end up looking up something that gives me a uh, note for a future chart. That's happened every time now that like I've, I've done it three times and every time I've come out of it with a note for another chart that was the next chart. <laughs> you the should, write, just keep you should start charting those. Uh, I would say okay. that this whole project has been worth it for the decade of iPhone revenue chart, which is on mm. the decade of Apple growth uh, post, which I'll put in the show notes, because the chart for iPhone growth is so huge. It's like bigger than the web page. Like you can't look yeah. at the chart in one. And I think yeah. that it is like I have uh, I have it like a max size in Safari, right? Like I have the window the size of my iMac screen and I can't see the whole chart on one screen uh, vertically because the, because iPhone growth exploded so much that it like broke graphs. So it's kind of hilarious to see that. Yeah, this is one of those things that it started with me. I had a back and forth with John Gruber actually about a previous chart article where um, I actually changed the scale. Originally, my scale it was about percentages and the scale went to 50%. And he and he sent me a text and said, you're killing me. And I knew what he was talking about, which is if you're showing percentages, the most appropriate way to do it is to show all 100% because then you get an idea of like within the, the volume of 100%, how much of each percentage is it? Um, but that got me thinking about scale. And I made these charts and I th- had that same thought, which is when I do these charts about revenue for iPad, Mac, and iPhone, the scales are totally different. And it's not just like the... I don't have the scale set the same because then you could basically, the iPad and the Mac would look totally flat if they were the same scale as the iPhone because the iPhone's numbers are so much bigger. So I make them a different scale. And I thought, well, how could I express this? And the answer was I made a version of the iPhone chart where the scale was the same as the iPad and the Mac charts. And as a result, because iPhone revenue is so much more than those, um, it's this incredibly laughably tall chart. But I, it, it expresses exactly what I wanted it to, which is uh, you may misunderstand when looking at charts just how much bigger the iPhone is than the other parts of Apple's product line mm-hmm. by a lot and the growth that it had. 
uh, over the course of the last decade. So uh, we have some stuff we want to talk about today, but there is obviously a story that occupied most of last week, but it was after we had recorded, was conversation about Apple and end-to-end encryption, especially in in regards to uh, iCloud backups and why they're not encrypted fully and potential reasons for that. Um, I just wanted to do a follow-out to episode 278 of Connected because I don't have the energy to get back into this conversation again because it... It yep. riles me up, Jason. So uh, I recommend if people want to hear that, because you know, you, sometimes if like if you just listen to this show and we don't and we skip over a topic like this, you may think we're omitting it, right? But it's purely because there's only so much we can talk about every week. So if you want to hear more on that, you can go listen to Connected, or you could also listen to ATP, right? Uh, it was episode three sixty two. I spoke about it there. If you want to just hear people talk about it, but like you know, my my views are. They are what they are, you know. And, yeah. yeah. Glenn Fleischman talked to John Gruber about it for three hours on the talk show. You can listen to that if you've got three spare hours. Short show. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it's all covered pretty well. I, I find the topic really frustrating because I, I think that there's a lot we don't know. And there, um, so you can talk about a very small amount. If this comes back in the news, we'll talk about it again. But yep. uh, I think I think it was well covered elsewhere. And, and the idea of... Um, you know, balancing, and we'll, we may get into it later in this episode too, a little bit uh, obliquely. But the idea of this being, you know, encryption is offering end-to-end encryption to your customers is complicated, and it's not just because of governments wanting access to your customer data. It's also complicated because of customers wanting access to their data and forgetting their passwords. And so then you start to ask, you know, what about making it an optional? Um, but then that has issues because then it's not on by default. Um, there's it, it's a it's a whole it's a whole can of worms. Um, there are other podcasts that discuss discussed it in depth. We probably will discuss it again because this will not stop happening. But um, we're gonna give it a pass yep. this week. We should talk about something that is particularly pertinent to our typical discussions. Uh, I will frame this as an upstream topic, which is right. going, going back to Apple and original podcasts. So Apple creating podcasts of their own. There's been two news stories about this in the last week. Uh, one was a Bloomberg report. Um, this came from who wrote this Bloomberg report? It was Mark Gurman and Lucas Shaw. And they stated that uh, Apple are indeed planning on making original podcasts that, as I think we predicted quite a while ago, focus on its Apple TV Plus shows as the content. So they apparently started sending out requests for pitching to like uh, production companies uh, over the summer, mm-hmm. podcast production companies. Uh, these podcasts would likely include uh, production assistance and appearances from the people involved in the shows themselves. This sure. is much like the podcast from networks like HBO, right? Um, that there is an accompanying podcast to a TV show. This is the easiest way for Apple to get into the game. And then in an interview with Forbes, Lee Eisenberg, who's one of the co-creators of Little America, said the following, Apple is such a worldwide and multifaceted brand. We're doing a podcast to delve more into the stories and the music on the show. There'll also be a playlist for every episode. We're also putting out a book. Apple has an infrastructure that just felt like it would be able to touch all of the different pieces that we wanted. So, Do you think that's going to be one of those uh, iPhoto books where you just... Uh... You know, you get a little hardcover book with some pictures in it. Definitely made in iBooks author, whatever it is, right? Um, sure. 
you know, this is we we we've spoken about this before, right? That like as Apple move more and more into the entertainment industry, their ability to get people to keep their mouth shut is going to become harder and harder. Um, because Eisenberg has basically said that he's given the confirmation we were looking for that Apple are indeed creating podcasts for their TV shows because he's so much has said it. Um, this may be for the second yeah. season of Little America. This makes perfect sense. What it doesn't answer, uh, which is the is the bigger question of like this will be how Apple show their feeling about the podcast market as to whether these will be available with RSS feeds or whether they will just be available in Apple Podcasts. I, I think this isn't going to problem, unless unless they make them restricted, I think it won't tell us anything because the idea is they're, they're about Apple TV Plus shows. So um, why not make them as widely available as possible because it's about your product and that you have to be a subscriber mm-hmm. to watch. I agree. So my, yeah, okay. my guess is that they'll be out there for everybody. I, th- I do think this is a best practice. I don't think it's being done as much as it should be. Um, as somebody who enjoys podcasts and enjoys TV shows, there should be TV shows. There should be official podcasts about every TV show. Like mm-hmm. you should do an official podcast. And I know I was having this conversation with, um, with a, a mutual friend of ours who will remain nameless, who said uh, that he listened to the Chernobyl podcast on my recommendation and was and hadn't listened to it before because he was worried, and I think this is the problem, that it was just going to be a self-congratulatory exercise, a marketing exercise about, um, I remember back in uh, when Doctor Who started back in the UK, they did a podcast and it was the two executive producers and literally it was just hooray, hooray for that person. Isn't that great? Isn't everything great? And it didn't provide any insight into like the making of the show. It was, it was not helpful. Um, the Chernobyl podcast was, you know, they're not, they're not saying, wow, this episode sucked, right? Because it's the people who made it. and uh, But it was insightful about how the show got made and the choices that were made. And uh, the Good Place podcast is a little bit like that. Again, nobody's slagging anybody off and saying this is a terrible episode or that actor is a jerk. That's not going to happen on an official podcast. Uh, nobody's going to say, wow, this one was a stinker, right? But that show the good place podcast has been really great and educational in terms of getting people from all over the crew to talk about their job so Mm -hmm. it's not just the actors and the writers it's the actors and the writers sure but it's also directors and producers and set decorators and special effects people and script supervisors and things like that so i i find those two podcasts especially and the Watchmen podcast was pretty good although there were only three episodes of it which was very frustrating to me um but you know as as somebody who listens to podcasts and watches tv let me just say it your your show should have a podcast mm-hmm. like every show should have a podcast this is the brand extension it's easy it won't take too much time it's fairly cheap and it will give your viewers more of uh, of what they want so um i think it's a natural that apple's doing this so i'm i'm looking forward to it i w- i want the i want the official for all mankind podcast and yeah morning show podcast and whatever else like do it let's make it happen i want i want ron moore and his writing staff to go back through the first uh first season of for all mankind and i'll watch those episodes again yep. and then listen to the podcast give me the director's commentary that i so greatly want right like that's that's kind of how i feel about this stuff right like i want that content Give me, give me, give me, give me. I do, I feel, I feel for people like yourself, Jason, who make podcasts about this type of content, right? Because things get a little trickier to compete 
you know, like when all the TV shows make the TV sh- their podcasts about TV shows, it can be harder to stand out. Yeah, I don't agree, mostly because we, as an independent podcaster about a TV show, so I, I'm doing that right now. Here's here's a plug. I'll put in a plug. I'm doing that right now for for the current season of Doctor Who and for the new Star Trek Picard show. And you can go to the Incomparable. Uh, the Doctor Who stuff is in the TV podcast, and uh, there's a podcast called Vulcan Hello where we talk about new Star Trek. So I'm doing it for two shows right now, and I did it for Game of Thrones and Star Trek Discovery, and you know I've done, I've done it for some other shows. The difference is that we can say, "Wow, that was a bad episode." Or I didn't mm. like that performance. Mm-hmm. Or what were they thinking? We can be critical. We can be fans, and we can be excited. But it's not. There's no fallout from us saying that this episode was bad, or I questioned this performance, or I don't understand what they were doing here. Plus, we're not constrained by knowing what happens next. Where you're not going to speculate about what happens, which we can do with a lot of these shows. Like, I wonder what will happen next. Well, they know, so they're not going to say anything. They're not going to touch that. So I feel like. You know, it, it's the classic, uh, maybe coming from journalism here is what colors this for me. But, um, you know, what we're doing is we are free to say whatever we want. And what they're doing is marketing. Marketing can be really good content because they have access, but it's still marketing. So I, I want from, from the official podcast, I want to hear from the people who made it about the choices they made. I want to know about the creative process. I'm less interested in um, other stuff because it is marketing. But I, I don't think it's an issue for being, you know, for people who are on the outside because you're never going to get that from insiders, right? You're never going to that that person won't last long in Hollywood if they appear on a podcast and say, "Yeah, my co-star really mailed it in. That's kind of a weak performance. I don't think he did a very good job. I don't <laughs> want to work with him ever again." Like that's never ever going to happen. All right, this episode is brought to you by DoorDash. Whether you're super focused at work, having a chill day, or you forgot to do your meal prep for the evening, you still need to eat. And with DoorDash, you can have dinner from your favorite restaurant delivered right to your door. Ordering is super easy. You just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and have your food delivered to you wherever you are. Your favorite pizza place is probably already on DoorDash, but there are over a quarter of a million restaurants in over 3,000 cities. That is door-to-door delivery in all 50 states of the U.S. and Canada, too. So you can order from your local go-tos, your favorite spots, or you can choose from your favorite national restaurant chains like Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, Chipotle, Cheesecake Factory, whatever it is. I bet DoorDash has got it. You can go in and find it. So, Jason Snow, if you're feeling uh, particularly hungry, you want a nice little meal, but you're too busy, what is a DoorDash experience like for you? Yeah, you know, this is the, uh, we want Indian food tonight and because no, we don't want to cook and we hate everything. And every, <laughs> I can take the orders from everybody and um, put it in there and actually even put it in advance so that it just shows up at the door at a certain time. Order it when you're thinking of it in the afternoon and have it come in the in the evening. Um, super Lovely. convenient. Couldn't be, the, couldn't be easier. Yeah. Up, like, upgrade listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more, which is a really great deal. Just download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code UPGRADE. That is $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code UPGRADE. So go download the app right now, start planning your dinner, and that code is UPGRADE for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Our thanks to DoorDash for their support of this show and Relay FM. Jason, I said that today, January twenty seventh, was a uh, was a was a day in the calendar, a monumental day, and it was because the iPad has turned ten years old today. Would you like to talk about that for us? 
Yeah, it's it's. I mean, happy birthday, iPad. <laughs> I guess, but it's a it's uh, you know ten is a is a milestone yep. for us ten fingered humans, and uh, so I wanted to talk about it a little bit, like think about a decade of the iPad, and also to go back to the original uh, event that happened um, ten years ago. The uh, but you know first I think it's worth mentioning. Um, John Voorhees did a story about this on Mac Stories that just went up about like all of the rumors and mock-ups and things about yep. the iPad beforehand. Being a friend which is and hilarious. a frequent iMessage compatriot of John Voorhees has been amazing over the last couple of weeks as he has been finding these super weird like mock-ups that were being made like oh, yeah. in the months leading up to it. And most of them are in the article, at least the, the best ones on Mac Stories. But it's just hilarious to see what we thought this device might look like before or it at showed least, up. I mean, what the people who make mock-ups thought anyway. Yes. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it's true. Like, the Mac... So, 2010, like, the iPhone had been out, but there was also this legacy of speculation that Apple's tablet computer was going to not be an iPhone. It was going to be a Mac. Yeah. And there, there, that had been going on for a long time. And it sounds like, you know, they were working on something like that inside Apple and it was just it never it never really worked. We also now know that the iPad actually was in process before the iPhone and was impractical enough that they decided to go with the phone the little phone first and mm-hmm. then come back to the bigger device. Do you remember uh, the mod book? So this is I wanted to mention it for people <laughs> who don't remember it. Um, not only were people really intrigued by the idea of a tablet computer, because there have been tablet PCs, Microsoft had been making Windows and the, all the PC licenses with uh, tablet PCs for a while. They weren't very good. They were actually kind of a failed category. Um, and the if you if you look at my iPad, my original iPad review, I say, you know, this is a failed category that it's coming into. Um, but there was a company that was making the Modbook, a... a it was a MacBook. It was a one of the plastic, the polycarbonate MacBooks, like the white MacBook. And they basically bought one and tore it apart and then put it back together with a touchscreen. And so it was like thick, but it was one slab and it was a touchscreen. And the idea was, this is your touchscreen Mac. This is your Mac tablet. Uh, which is funny because we, you know, there there has never been a Mac tablet. It is not a thing because the iPad happened instead. But there was definitely in that in that era, the the Mac people had been agitating for an Apple tablet that was based on OS X, and a lot of the mockups picked that up, right? And they and they are showing, you know, not a big iPhone, but a big thick Modbook like Mac OS X thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can still. You can still get them. Modbook can is you? still around. Their website makes it seem like it has never changed, especially when they talk about the fact that you can put Firewire 800 on this thing. But you can still order from them a product. Like I'm looking at their ordering form now. Like you can get an i7, bunch of RAM. Like you, they will still make these things if you want one. Oh, it has Touch Bar now. Isn't it wild? So they 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 move the parts around and uh, and then put it in a new case. Yeah. So this is the thing. So anyway, at the time, that was what a lot of people were thinking. Um, also, the rumors 
there's a uh, in the in the keynote, Steve Jobs even puts up a, a thing from the Wall Street Journal that says it's the most anticipated tablet since the one that had commandments written on it. Um, and it's true. It was the speculation was was enormous. Um, and the big bit of speculation that I remember is us arguing about the price. Oh, and the I, price. Yes. And I would say that the most common price prediction was $9.99. But, um, you know, and they were arguing, it's like, no, 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 it's going to be, it's going to be $7.99. I don't think anybody, and certainly not very many people, predicted the real price which was 499 and yeah. you can see in that video of the keynote that jobs knows it right he knows that everybody is over speculated about yeah. the price and you, you could spec it up right you could put it in cellular and more storage and it would be more expensive but the base model wi-fi was 499 and he actually put up 999 in the slide and then has the 499 slam down and and replace it yeah, uh, because it, and that was a huge deal, right? Because Apple was saying we have this in- incredibly hot new thing, and it's you know, and and it's the future of computing or whatever, and it's four ninety nine. That was a uh, and they they optimized for that. Like in the the stories go that they designed it to hit four ninety nine, and they and they made it. They didn't yep. want this product to be more than five hundred dollars as a base. It is super hard to, oh, like to 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 understate how much of a surprise that price was. Like at the time, nobody expected less than a thousand. Like realistically, you know that that was like people were like, "Oh, if they can hit nine nine nine, like that's going to be great." But like four hundred ninety nine dollars for this product was incredible. No matter what it was going to be, right? Like because it could have ended up being something way worse than what it was for five hundred dollars, you know. But for them, for Apple to release this product, which was believed to be like their next big thing for $500 was a huge surprise. I mean, yeah. it was basically the price of an iPhone, right? Like if you bought one, but nobody was buying them, we were all getting them on contracts and it was a very different time. The iPhone was, I think, more expensive than this, but you didn't buy them outright. Yeah. You just bought them on contract. But yeah, yeah. So the idea yep. of getting a much bigger tablet product from them was was wild. Also, I think we were, we were calling them slates, right? Like that was the thing then, oh, more than boy. tablet so as it, well? It's not, it's, it, no, it's even worse than that, Mike. It's worse than that. Tablet PCs was a thing for Microsoft, right? Yeah. And Bill Gates tried to make tablet PCs happen for Couldn't. a long time. Yeah. HP had, a, had one. I remember used to do all these presentations with them. Yeah, we just had it come up in the chat room where people were like, you know, Bill Gates was right for some definition of right, which is exactly right. Like Bill Gates was like, I'm a believer in this, but the stuff that they shipped was rejected by the market largely because it was just, it wasn't good. It wasn't ready. It, it was not acceptable. And, but that was tablets. And so tablets was the category. Slate only became a thing. And this is hilarious because there was a rumor in late t- 2009 that Apple's product was going to be called the iSlate. And there were other rumors about what it was going to be called, iTablet. I'm not sure if iPad was out there, but like the iSlate was the rumor that everybody kind of jumped on and said, well, this must be it. And this is where CES comes into the story because, of course, this is January 27th as we record this. So late January, CES had already happened. Well, those rascals at the consumer electronics show who you know show you products that don't exist and stuff like that are also quick to jump on a trend and they wanted to preempt apple so all of these products get shown at ces 
in 2010 before the iPad is announced. And they are all called slates. They're referred to as being in the slate market. This is a this is a new slate we're going to create. And it's all because of this rumor that Apple's thing is going to be called the iSlate, which it wasn't. <laughs> so that's where slates come from. Slates was an attempt to jump on Apple, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they failed. Also, I'll point out the iPad name was widely mocked as a ridiculous name. Yes. It's fine. Right, like in the yeah. end, this this shows you why, as a, a marketer, sometimes you just need to ignore the fact that there are going to be some wags who mock you a little bit uh, if you think you've got a good name because it settled down very quickly and the iPad is fine and it's just that's what it is and it's not a big deal. There's one of those. It's like one of those things with all names. Eventually, the name of the thing just becomes the thing. And there's no more association to it other than what it is, right? Like, you can have a name which seems funny for a little bit, but then eventually everybody forgets why it's funny, and it's just, well, it's the iPad. Like, iPad becomes a word of its own, right? So then its associations wear away. But yeah, people didn't like the name. The name was, you know, it was... It, it, iPad is clunky when you think of it in the abstract, but now we're so used to it, it feels like yeah. the perfect name. Yeah, it's and I think it's not much more clunky than iPod. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, my, I think the strongest argument against iPad is that it's so much like iPod, and it gets confusing. And back in the day, you would you would think iPad, but type iPod and have to fix it. And now time. you think when whenever I am writing about the iPod, I type iPad, and I'm like, God, oh, no, it's iPod. It's not iPad uh, because they're so close. Um, but we we've come a long way in ten years. But also as well, you could probably see like it was still a while, but I think in Apple's mind they were like the iPad's going to be around longer than the iPod, so let's not worry For about sure. this association, right? Like, yeah, they they knew where it was going. Yeah, this is the era where the iPod was becoming an app, right? It, it was the music yeah. app, what yeah. used to be called iPod on the on the iPad and the iPhone. Um, so a it was, wide, it was a touch that was way. it widescreen iPod with touch controls? <laughs> sure, <laughs> that the event so. The event is great. I watched the event last week. Um, Stephen Hackett did one better. It's a great idea. He watched the event and recorded his commentary with a little video inset about the event. Mm-hmm. So you can go watch that and Hasn't watch Stephen. Hasn't yet been copyright claimed. No, not <laughs> yet. yet. Uh, Still there. <laughs> uh, 10 years on Stephen Hackett watching the Apple event. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was thinking you could you could maybe argue that it's transformative, but it probably isn't. But anyway, it's it's fun to see Stephen kind of do a commentary over the event about it, and it is an amazing event. Um, some background about that, like so, it's an event. It was in San Francisco, um, at Moscone West, I think, in January. Um, Apple had just like uh, divorced itself from IDG and IDG World Expo, and said they weren't going to do Mac World Expo anymore. And part of the you know, idea there was that they didn't want to be limited to have to do like events whenever the, the, the calendar hit like January events. And then they did an event in January at Moscone. Mm -hmm. It was, I remember at the time thinking, well, way to show your uh, independence, Apple. It's a January (laughs) event in San Francisco. You don't say like, you know, of course they could have done it at Macworld Expo. Um, And it's a remarkable event because of the chair. It's got that chair that's on stage that they used, yep. the jobs, but and not just jobs used. And I think it's so brilliant. I wrote about this at Macworld last week, and we can put a link in the show notes. Um, having people sit in the chair and lean back and use the iPad 
It's so smart because like this is the education process of like, here is how you will use an iPad and here is what makes it different is that you don't have a laptop in your lap and you're not just holding onto a little phone. You've got this thing and it's super comfy in the chair and we're going to scroll around and look at the uh, we're going to look at, at the New York Times website for a very, very, very long time. <laughs> Because that's what happens in that. Because they're so proud of Safari. At a lo- it's iPhone Safari on a larger screen. And look, that real web, you can actually read the words on the page now. Um, so the, the chair is important. Um, and of course, Steve Jobs gets a big hand because he had been sick and people hadn't seen him in a while. And, and, and there he and is. you could see it. Standing so, ovation, right? right? Like he he was very, very thin. Right. Yeah, like he, for he sure. clearly there was you know, you could see that he'd been going through of course he he passes away in October two thousand and eleven, so he was around for about you know, Year nearly two years after this, yeah. but not not that much longer unfortunately. Yeah, yep. But but like, you know, it's it's often said, right, like in biographies and stuff, how important this was to him to yep. be able to be the person to show off this product to the world. Right. Um so my argument in the Macworld column is that out the iPhone, the iPad succeeded where other tablet devices have failed because of what Apple did in this event to a certain degree and mm-hmm. what it meant for where they where they took it. So, you know, tablet PCs still exist, and in fact, they're now like two in ones and convertibles, and there's a whole PC category of running Windows, um, and they're they're better than they were but you know and we could argue about it but like microsoft has has never been able to get everybody to sort of like convert everything to a tablet environment you use a tablet pc and you're using a pc that can sometimes be put in a tablet configuration but it's really a pc and it really wants a keyboard and a mouse and it's worth noting they're trying again right windows x like yeah which is coming for like the foldable and that they're trying this again. Like it's going to yeah. be wild to see if they're able to finally pull it off. But the apps make it hard, right? Yeah, every attempt that they have had so far has has not worked out the way that they wanted. All of their apps are, you know, or most of their apps want to be PC apps. Their their yes. strength is that they've got this whole catalog of PC apps. And the challenge is, if you're using a Surface and it's just a tablet, and then you're in this you know, PC mode and it's, it stinks. Like the, the tablet interface is good, but then you fall back. And this is the important mm-hmm. of apps. Like they tried, they've tried a few times to do a new version of apps, including office that are like very tablet oriented um, and touch oriented. And then, you know, so much of Microsoft stuff ends up being like, yeah, but the reason we use your stuff is because we have all these windows apps and it all kind of like pull the gravity kind of like pulls you back to using a PC. Yeah. Um, Apple, oh, oh, I should say, Android tablets have a different problem. And and even though Android tablets still exist and you can get them, but they're basically a failure. Like, mm-hmm. they're a failure. And the reason they're a failure is because um, of apps. Again, because of apps. Because on Android, there were there are just not enough apps that are actually optimized for the tablet experience. Most of them are are blown up phone apps because the app developers aren't particularly motivated to serve the market of tablets. There's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing there where there aren't as many tablets as, as there maybe should be. And there are so many Android phones and the Android developers are really focused on the phone apps more than anything else. And so Android tablets have also not done particularly well. And then there's the iPad, mm-hmm. which has done well. And it's because of the apps. And it's and it's visible in on day one in this presentation why that is. 
Modern history shows that it's kind of strange that Android phones succeeded because every other category, so watches, right? So smartwatches, uh, tablets, like Apple has dominated them to the point that really there's only one company making truly successful products, right? In those fields, right? Like if you want a smartwatch, the Apple Watch is so much better than the competition. Same for tablets. So it's kind of funny really when you think about it that like, there was the ability for other companies to make compelling and, and excellent smartphones that are popular when all of the other consumer technology products made by Apple and by the same companies making the smartphones that are succeeding are not working. It's kind of weird, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, well, I mean, the smartphone one is the big one. And, you know, to Google's credit, like they got Android out there and they got the partners that use the Microsoft model of mm-hmm. third-party hardware developers and they did the core stuff and they built up their app platform. But it's like they and... tried the exact same thing with Google Wear and, and tablet uh, versions yeah. of Android and it just it hasn't worked. I think the answer is it's partially the quality of the platform, mm-hmm. but it's partially the weight of the size of the category. Mm. That smartphones, and I'm going to get to this about the iPhone in a second, or the iPad in a second, but like, Android phones, like, that's a gold rush. You you want to be on Android because there's so many Android phones. And if you can make money, you know, which is harder to make money on Android, but you can make money on Android as an app developer uh, in volume because yeah. the yeah. sheer volume of it. And Android where, you know, there is a chicken and egg problem there. And it's like people didn't really, it didn't, it didn't really go as well as people thought it might. And, you know, maybe there were development issues, but it's also like, I feel like on the Android side, there's so much of like, well, let's see, I could do that or I could just do the phone where I'm going to make a lot of money because there's so many people who have Android phones. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's part of it. All right, so the three different things that they did about apps. In my thesis about it, the iPad succeeding where other products failed and dominating kind of the mind share of what a tablet device is. It's an iPad, that's the answer is uh it's in it's all in that presentation so it's three things they did first they showed the built-in apps which you know it's like how is this a little bit different how is this device different from an iphone is basically the lesson that's being given there um look at these iphone apps how is it different but familiar right that was the yeah was the key yeah it's like look at all these iphone apps oh they're different because they're on a big screen and and that you can do more with them and this is why there's so much safari and so much new york times and why steve jobs is just going let's go to let's go to the national geographic website yeah yeah, let's look in mail and all that it's to say Mm -hmm. hey it's even when it is just a big iphone you guys know the iphone you like the iphone right well it's way better if you can have a sidebar with your list of messages and then tap on one and then see it on the right. Or it's better to see a web page full size instead of in a little tiny phone window. And so that was like step one was iPhone apps are better on the iPad because they, they stretch to fit and they, and they uh, change to take advantage of the space. That was, that was like message number one for jobs, which is super important, I think. So um, number two is the third-party apps. And this is something that I had forgotten just how hard they hit this. This is like bring out Scott Forstall Mm -hmm. to talk about iPad app development. And the way they do it is really funny too. It's like, hey, it'll run iPhone apps. 
<laughs> and they spend some time on that. It's like, look, I got an iPhone app. Oh, it's little. I'm going to press this little button and now it's going to be big. It's still an iPhone app, but but look at it. Um, and I remember at the time thinking and, and just afterward thinking, well, this will get better, right? Apple will make the iPhone app, uh, you know, emulation on the iPad uh, a little bit better over time, right? Nope. Never touched it. Never touched it. Well, and this is part of their message. See, but it looks well, exactly the same. You run an iPhone app today, you can make it two times bigger. It looks like crap and yep. it runs. Like that's, it, they, they never change that. It's like Steve Jobs reaching out of the past and saying, if you want to use just an iPhone app, it's going to suck. Okay. Like, Get get a better app. Get get a developer yep. who cares about the iPad. In a, it is in so... a way that is almost like un-Apple like, right? Where they're like, no, we're just not necessarily gonna make this bad, but we are not going to do anything to make this better. Right, because we want to force yeah. our developers to have a bad experience on the iPad and inflict a bad experience on their customers in order to force them to do an iPad mm-hmm. version of their app. That is absolutely part of the message. So he, he talks about that for a while. And it's like, hey, you know, and, and I think the sense there is that some other companies might say, good news, we have this develop, this uh, emulation thing, this, uh, this phone mode for these apps. And Apple instead is like swerving where they're like, hey, we've got this thing. It sucks. So here's what you want to do. We've got three months until we ship this thing, <laughs> uh, developers. And uh, so you and the SDK... For this, the the software development kit for this for third party app developers is available now. So you've got three months to turn all your iPhone apps into iPad apps and be there on day one of the iPad. Um, keeping in mind that we are in this period in the throes of it's like the height of the iPhone app store gold rush. So everybody is like, oh, new Apple product apps make a lot of money. I want to be there on day one for the iPad. And he says, Forstall says, like if you are using an iPad and you go to the app store, you can find iPhone apps, but we're not going to show them to you, which is still the case today. Mm-hmm. Like you can get to them, but uh, developers, if you just having a, uh, an iPhone app in the app store is not going to get you on the iPad at launch. People want, they won't even see you in any of the pages unless they look for you. Yep. Right. Which is like, how much clearer could this message be? But, but uh, so, so you got, you're a second class app on this new platform. We're giving you three months to fix that. And everybody's already hyped up with those. Like I became a millionaire because I wrote a fart app kind of things Mm -hmm. that are going Mm -hmm. on. And so it was the perfect storm for Apple to get broad developer embrace of the iPad. They had existing apps that were already on the platform with iPhone. They had reasons to bring it to the iPad that Apple was kind of bringing down the hammer and saying, we're going to, you know, not display your app if you don't do this. And we will highlight you if you do. And everybody's kind of pumped about the money that's being made in the app store. And you put those things together and there were a lot, three months later, two months later, there were a lot of iPad apps on day one, lots and lots. And I think one of the things for that is like you saying like the stories, the stories were because when the app store launched, there wasn't a lot of apps, like a mi- there weren't like a million apps. There were some, but there were enough that it was still pretty normal for people to look through the app store and just browse everything and buy what they wanted, right? Like I think, you know, anybody that was around then in like 2008 or what, I think it was 2008, that's what we did, right? I like If I look at my first apps, I have like 
a French translation app. You know, it's just like why did I? I don't know why I bought that, right? <laughs> but but I but people were just buying stuff because it was available, and I think that the the promise of that again was incredibly enticing to people, right? Like the app store is launching again. This device will be popular. If we make an app and get it in the app store, we might make millions in one day、mm-hmm. because people are looking for new apps. Which is why, when the app iPad App Store launched, we were full of apps that were like something something HD. Do you remember that was the, the like the naming convention for, yeah, for,、right. for apps was like Flight Control HD and like Evernote HD. You know, like, like that was like the the kind of the the naming du jour for like iPad versions of applications. Because you got to remember as well, there were no universal apps at this point. Right, this was just like you had an iPad app and you had an iPhone app, and they were separate. Oh, you're right. You're right. It wasn't even universal, was it? So it was, you made a brand you new another app, build,、yeah. and the great thing about it was, you as a developer were able to charge your customer again. And when does that happen, right? Like, <laughs> so. Yep, yep. It's pretty good. But there was another part, right? It wasn't just the third-party apps. Okay, Apple th- kind of put their money where their mouth was. Yeah. So this is the thing that I, I I remember at the time thinking, "Wow, this is a big this is a big move, and it's a surprising move because they that could have been enough, right?、Mm-hmm. Like, hey,、um, this is a great platform. It's got built-in apps that we're doing that are great that are made better on the iPad than they are on the iPhone by adjusting them, and you could do that too, developer, and make money. That's not where they stopped." They went and put another stake in the ground that still is having an effect to this day. Apple has been remarkably consistent. This is not one of those things, sort of like with the Apple Watch, where they where they like threw a bunch of stuff against the wall and then sort of figured out what the Apple Watch was. The iPad from day one. Anybody who tells you, oh well, the iPad was a content consumption device, and then Apple pivoted and tried to make it into a a work tool and did the iPad Pro and added keyboards and stuff like that, but that was a that was a change. It was not a change. On day one, on announce day, Apple announced full iWork apps for the iPad. They rolled out. They said we're going to do iWork apps, Numbers, Pages, Keynote.、And、they demoed them, and and this is the message that was I think really important to send up front, which was、mm-hmm. this is not just a big iPhone. The size doesn't just give you a broader canvas. It Allows you to do more, and this is the part of the demo where Apple starting to shift a little bit and say, "This is a laptop competitor. Like there are things you can do on a laptop that this thing can do. Like, don't think of this as a big iPhone because it has a spreadsheet, and it has a word processor, and it has a presentation program. Think of this as、uh, an alternative to a laptop." And that you can, you know, use it to do real work, as we still say.、Uh, but it was there from day one, and there was even, and everybody, including me, forgets there was even a keyboard accessory on day one because Apple announced that they were shipping this thing that was the keyboard dock. Now it didn't last; they didn't do another one. They only did that first one. But there was a keyboard dock that was literally a an Apple keyboard.、Uh, With attached to a stand with a dock connector on it, and you put the iPad in in vertical in portrait orientation. And Jobs actually makes a joke about like you can type War and Peace on it or something. He's I don't think he loved that accessory very much. I think he didn't like the idea necessarily of the iPad being a、uh, a writing tool at a desk because he liked it in his hands. But、mm-hmm. 
whoever was making these decisions, like there it is, like it's, it's right there. The, so we have these arguments about, can you use the iPad to do real work? And who are these people? And I think it's funny that this was not, um, a, 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 you know, a change in direction by Apple. This was part of the plan from the start. The message was there from the start, uh, not just to users, but also to developers. And I remember like, um, talking to at WWDC, I think maybe talking to the Omni group that year and how they had committed to basically bring all of their devices, or maybe, maybe it was even earlier than that, all of their apps to the iPad. And, you know, that they were emboldened by what Apple did. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they got the message and other app developers got the message that like, don't just think of this as a place for big iPhone apps. Think of this as a place for you to deploy apps that do the kinds of things you expect a computer to do. And I think that was really important to set that as a goal from the very start. And yeah, that original iPad was limited, but it was there from the start. That keyboard accessory is funny, but you know, you look at it now and it was just, you could put your iPad, just attach it to a magic keyboard. They just put a dot connector on the end of a magic keyboard. Yeah. And and a weight. It actually is yeah. really heavy because they wanted it to be like not slide around or, mm-hmm. or flop or over. over. Uh, uh-huh. But because you'd be tapping on the screen, right? But uh-huh. was a needed accessory. You know, the, the idea of the, the creation versus consumption, you know, that was, that was the phrase that, uh, it, yep. it became a meme in the end, really. But like that was the phrase for years, and and I agree with you. Like, well, so what I would say on that is, I would say for most of the iPad's life up until 2015, it was mostly a a consumption device for most people. But I agree with you that this was not what Apple wanted to put out into the world, right? It was a different right. thing when it got into the hands of consumers and the way that they used it, and it was a different thing when like you know, the the market started to change around the iPad and, and sales started to decline, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a little bit. But the, the and then really like use cases changed and, and it became like this is an entertainment device and that was that way for a while. But I agree clearly when it was being announced when Apple was showing it off, that was not their intention. It was great for consumption, but as good for creation, right? That, that thing, that was what they were trying to show. And this was what they wanted. They wanted the platform to go in that direction. This is also Apple declaring its intent. Like, we cared enough to build the iWork apps for this thing. And this is where this thing is going. Mm-hmm. And they weren't wrong, but you're right. It, it it took a lot longer for it to get there. And, you know, they may have even known that up front. But it did allow them to set that course and probably start selling them into businesses, right? Into Because Apple, to this day, talks about how they have so many enterprise partners, uh, very large corporations that are doing all these deployments using iPads. And I think it was a key part of the iPad's growth over the decade that we don't talk about when we think about consumer tech. But that Apple used it as a way in, along with the iPhone, a way into Fortune 500 companies uh, with their with their tech, where the Mac maybe couldn't go because yeah. they had PCs. But with iPad and iPhone, they could get in there. And the iPad turned out to be a real success story. I mean, very rarely does a quarter go by where they don't mention the success with examples of iPad in Fortune 500 companies on that analyst call that they do after the results come out. Like every time there's a, we, you know, and they'll pick an industry and they'll be like, we have seen a great success in the shipping industry where iPad is being used. Like, And it's always in there. So it's a huge part that doesn't get as much attention 
of what they're doing. And, and that's a result of Apple putting that stake in the ground too. All right, let's take a break and we can continue talking about uh, the iPad at 10. Uh, today's show is also brought to you by Pingdom. Look, our friends over at SolarWinds make a great product for Pingdom because it helps make websites run better. It makes them faster. Today's internet users expect fast, reliable web experiences. Our internet connections are not the problem anymore, right? Like you don't have, when typically when a website doesn't load, it's because there's something wrong going on on the website. And no matter how good your content is, no matter how effective your marketing might be, people are going to leave if your website is loading too slowly. With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues affect your visitors' experiences so you can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on the browser they use, the device they use, the platform that they're on. You can identify how those people are experiencing your site so you can make informed optimizations to deliver great performance to those who matter most. And did we mention that it's built for scalability as well? Real user monitoring is an event-based solution, meaning that you can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank in the process. We talk about Pingdom all the time as being like, oh, we, you can check if your website's working and you can see how things are breaking, but it's more than that. You can get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM and get a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout and get an amazing 30% of your first invoice. That's pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. So do you want to talk any more about the demo itself? Yeah, I I recommend people watch it or watch it with Stephen Hackett in that video as long as it stays up. Um, it's it is classic Jobs. It's not you know the iPhone demo, which is for lots of reasons the kind of pinnacle, but it's really good. It's also really funny to see the other stuff that maybe you erased from your mind. Your mental picture of what the iPad launch event is is probably not what the actual event is. Um, you know, we mentioned Jobs getting a standing ovation. It was obviously, you know, everybody knew that he was not well and that this was a big moment and that he was back on stage um, and he was delighting in it mm. as well. Mm-hmm. I think people were thinking at the time too, like, oh, he's so sick he has to sit in the chair. It's like, that's not why the chair is there. I mean, maybe, but that's the chair is a really effective prop. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention here is just that, I, you know, I went to the event, but then I watched it. This is one of those things where you go to the event and then later you're like, you know, I, I was taking notes. I was sending messages around. I need to watch this again to get the full picture of it and take more notes and then write more about it. And I remember I was at home um, watching the, you know, a replay of it on the TV and realized that my five-year-old son was standing behind me, behind the couch, staring at the TV. And I had one of those moments of like, Oh no, I've exposed a young child to a completely untempered reality distortion field. This is very dangerous. And, uh, and he's standing back there and his eyes are wide open and he's just like, Oh, this is great. I want it. When are we going to get it? I want it. And for the next like months until we got one, he just kept on saying the iPad, we got to get it. Oh, <laughs> it's man. amazing. So good. Just like a young mind exposed to the Steve Jobs uh, selling points, and he was completely enthralled by it. It was amazing to watch, and I also felt a little bit bad because I was like, "Oh no, you're a kid who grows up in the 21st century in a house that you know basically doesn't even have commercials in it anymore on TV, and you just saw the i 
pad launch The best events. commercials. The biggest Steve Jobs commercial. demo. The best yeah. commercial available. Yeah. Sorry, kid. Um, we should also mention, you touched on it briefly, like mention the sales curve of the iPad. The iPad had a real interesting story or really interesting life because that initial surge of interest, they had a couple of years where they sold like $30 billion in iPads, $30 billion in iPads. And then it went down for, as we know, because we watched it fall, it kept going down and down and down and down. And we're like, where does it end? Where does the iPad hit? And everybody had theories about like, well, there's a buying cycle and there's a long buying cycle for the iPad and there was initial interest and that was great, but it's not something that's sustainable in the long term. And it turns out the last few years it has stabilized as a business that is in the, you know, $20 billion a year range and it's the size of the Mac, more or less. And it is growing a bit. Um, So, you know, it's not, it's not the iPhone nothing is but in in 10 years it has become as big a part of apple's business as the mac is and keeping in mind the mac sales are about as good as they've ever been yeah i mean it it took its time right and and i think one of the reasons you know we spoke about this already but the reasons it took its time is it needed to find its place Right, a, l- a little bit more than the uh-huh. just the original idea, because frankly, like a screen that you use in your home for entertainment is a thing that people are used to, and we don't change them a lot. And it's televisions, right? So the idea of this device, which is mainly used for entertainment in the home, is probably not going to get upgraded that much. Or people bought it and realized that they didn't have a need for it. It took the iPad Pro to really, I think, show that there was something more and reinvigorate Apple as well into making the device more of what they thought it could ultimately become. And mm-hmm. that's where we are today, right? Like iPadOS is is just another example of showing that this product deserves a, even more attention, right? Like it deserves to be treated with the respect of the Mac, it deserves to be treated with the respect of the iPhone, as even the Apple Watch, funnily enough, as like a a platform deserving of its own, you know, like focused development from the platform holder, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where we are today. But I think maybe it would have back then in 2010, would have even maybe seemed to be more likely that that would happen than it was in in 2019. Yeah, I think um, if I'm surprised by anything, it's that the the road is lo- has been longer. And I have some theories about why. I think some of it is consumer acceptance. Mm-hmm. I think people got this thing because it looked super cool and then realized that they were mostly just going to use it to like look at web pages and watch videos. Mm-hmm. And then that, you, you know, and then... It, they didn't need to buy a new one to do that. It just did that. So they didn't need to buy it and the sales go down. And then there's this sort of like upswing of using it for other things that has happened and it's all kind of like come together. But um, part of it is on Apple. You know, I think uh, directly or indirectly, iPhone sales from those charts that I did, right? iPhone sales in this decade exploded. Like after the iPad came out in like 2012, 13, 14, 
as the iPad sales are going up uh, and having their kind of bubble, but the iPhone exponentially accelerated and it didn't stop for like, Mm -hmm. there's like five years where the growth in the iPhone is enormous. And I think, and I'm not able, you know, I'm not someone who's inside Apple who can say for sure, but it sure looks to me like... Apple looked at the explosive growth of the iPhone and said, we got to put our foot on the gas. Yeah. Like we have to focus on the iPhone because look at what it's doing. And even as the iPad was growing, it was nothing like that chart shows like two or three years, the iPhone had achieved liftoff. It was off the chart of the iPad. Like it was never going to return there. The iPad was doing nice growth. And then there was the iPhone. And I think probably for a lot of good, legitimate reasons, Apple was like, we got to focus on the iPhone now. And as a result, the pace of innovation on the iPad really slowed. Like we, because it talked to anybody who's an iPad fan today and they will tell you, they will lament the slow pace of iPhone or iPad development that, you know, every other year we get some software updates, the iPad, you know, some of it, like I said, is consumer acceptance and not being ready to think of this as another device that, that could replace their laptop. But like the iPad pro could be at the level it is today. It could have been at this level five years ago. Yep. Yep. But it's kind of funny, right? Like I was just talking about iPad OS. There is no greater proof of this like fear and distrust in iP- in iPad updates that the year after Apple say it's going to get its own operating system we're still scared that they won't give it any updates this year. Yeah. Right? So like this has been the kind of the feeling of the the iPad faithful over this time is that it's just not going to be loved as much. And I think the reason was like you know it was as you mentioned right the iPhone went wild but like I think with the iPad, Apple were hoping they were going to get another iPhone-sized business, which they got until the iPhone business became a lot bigger than they expected. Yeah. So what they ended up with was another Mac-sized business, which would have been great in 2010, but you know, but by 2011, that was very that was a very different thing because the company started to change because it became the iPhone company, yeah. and that changed the trajectory of the of everything to do with them, right? Mm-hmm. Every part of Apple was changed because of that. I think it's also the source of some of Apple's problems in the two th- in the 2010s with mm-hmm. both, you know, we we talk about all the Mac issues that they had. Yep. Like it's very easy to say they took their eye off the ball when it came to their other products because of the iPhone. I think to a certain degree they did, but I think also to a certain degree you could argue they should have. But the, <laughs> like, like, the other ball in the room was so big, it yeah. pushed the other balls out of the room. Yeah, there was there, no. There was like, it couldn't a, keep their eye on the ball because the ball was too big. Yeah, the so. room was full of one giant ball, yeah. and then there were the you, you couldn't even see the other balls. There was like <laughs> there two tennis balls and an earth ball, right? It's like, <laughs> um, and how could you not? The, your your eye was literally stuck to the giant ball. You anyway, <laughs> you couldn't um, see past the ball. Couldn't see the ball past was the too one large. Ball. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> Apple. That's our metaphor about Apple being a, a room with a giant ball in it. Just yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> It could fit inside of the spaceship. There's a big hole in the middle. Yeah, you the just ball put will the go ball right in there. there. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a carnival game. Put the ball in the Apple Park hole. Uh, I, I, and, and this is why I have to say, it, it would be easy to be like, shame, shame, Apple, on how you treated the Mac and the and the iPad during this decade. But it's like, you know, they had a rocket ship 
with the iPhone yeah. and they needed to do it. And uh, while I wish they had put more attention on the iPad, the iPad especially like was part of the iPhone and the iPhone operating system. And I'm sure it didn't get the love and attention that could have made it like an Apple that just had the iPad and the Mac during the decade of the 2010s could have lavished and would have lavished way more attention on both. And they would both be further along as platforms, except they wouldn't be because all of the money that came in because of the iPhone accumulated to Apple in some other ways, including making the app environment on the iPad more vibrant and, you know, and having a halo effect where people love their iPhone and came to other Apple products. And like, so you can't pull that thread uh, really like the iPhone needed to exist, but because it was so huge, which was good for Apple as a whole, I do think that the iPad story over the, its first decade was at least, you know, in the middle of the decade was a missed opportunity. They, they, they have done better, and we're all hoping that they will do better uh, in 2020. So um, we should wrap this up by talking a little bit, a, a little bit bigger picture about like the iPad and our lives. Does mm. that like where it fits today, 10 mm-hmm. years later? Yeah, I think so. I had a real like stop-start relationship with the iPad where at first, you know, I was absolutely blown away by the iPad. Like I spoke about this uh, on, uh, I think it was on a, in our draft, right? When we were t- uh, last week, that the iPad, my excitement for the iPad started my career in podcasting because I was so excited about this technology I felt like I needed a place to talk about it. And so, you know, 2010, April 2010, which is when the iPad came out, was when I started my podcasting career. Right. Because I was, this was like, technology was getting to a point where it felt like it was changing and changing again significantly in my lifetime. You know, like, I felt like we were moving the, you know, the iPhone, the iPad, this was new stuff. Like, this was stuff that was being created and I was watching it, right? And I could talk about it yeah. rather than I came into the world where the Mac existed and where PCs right. existed and they grew and they were always a part of my life. But this this was this touchscreen technology, this was new and this was it for me, right? But then kind of as time went on, I was off and on with the iPad for a while. You know, like it, it didn't do what I wanted. It couldn't do what my Mac could do. You know, I believe it or not, Mike Hurley, big Mac fan, right? Like has been a Mac user for 16 years, right? Like uh, big time, right? And over time, my my interest kind of waned. The iPad mini really brought me back in for a while. You know, like I loved that iPad mini. Used to use it all the time, used it everywhere, right? It was just a great little device. And I would be off and on, right? Like, you know, an iPad would come out, full size one, and it would be impressive in some way, like the iPad Air or whatever, right? Like, I was like, oh, this is interesting. But then uh, iOS 9, right, with the multitasking, I think it was 9. That was when yeah. it, it really kind of started to feel like, again, for me, I hadn't used an iPad in years, like quite some time in that point, like seriously. But I, it was like, oh, this is interesting. And I was at WWDC. I bought an iPad Air 2 to put the beta on it um, and was like, oh, yeah, okay, I can see this. And so when the iPad Pro was introduced, I had been 
tinkering around with the iOS beta for long enough to feel like I could see how this could become. And it had started to become a more serious work device for me during that point, right? Like just, just with the beta, just with Apple's apps, right? Like Notes, Safari, and Mail, I'd started to use the iPad Air 2 as a product, like a productivity device again in a way that I hadn't really seriously done in, in quite a while. So when the iPad Pro came out, I was like, oh, all right. Like, that's what I want, (laughs) right? Like, I didn't know, I couldn't see, like, the forest from the trees, right? Like, I, I, you know, I know we were talking about it. There were rumors. But the the idea of this, like, it was the keyboard, right? Like, we we knew, I think we knew, we knew the large iPad was coming. But it was the whole package. I don't think we could have foresaw that in the way that Apple showed it off. And then when I saw what they had and I could see how I could compare it to what I was already doing with the iPad Air 2. Right. It was like, yeah, I get this. Yeah, I think the magic for me about that iPad Pro launch, which was like a year after I left IDG and started doing this, like the iPad Pro launch, I had started to push the iPad. Mm -hmm. And I'll get to it in a minute because I'll talk about how, you know, how it, my story here too but i'd started to get it like like oh let's use this more and that was when the ipad pro came out i was mm-hmm. like okay let's do this right like it was i was kind of primed for it mm-hmm. in a way where it didn't i didn't like the ipad pro didn't come out and i went oh yeah we were we were, we were very clearly on a similar trajectory then and we were definitely i'm sure you could go back in the history of this show and find the conversations but like sure federico was ahead of us right and was like mm-hmm. had been in for for a while and then people like me and you were like would start like it was it really was ios 9 right like, i think that 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 again if that was the one with multi it was ipad multitasking yeah. was one of these things that really was like I can do a lot more with this than I can on an iPhone, right? Like that was what showed that it could be done because the iPad was still a one app at a time experience. The difference being you had a larger software keyboard or maybe a third party keyboard that you attached to it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it was, you know, you could start to see with multitasking that this was a product that could, you could push and it was powerful and it can handle it. So the iPad pro was like, yes. So then when the iPad pro came out, I bought it and then, immediately replaced my laptop with it. So I was still using uh, a laptop at that time. Um, but when it came out, I just stopped using my MacBook Pro for anything I would use a MacBook Pro for because the iPad Pro with the smart keyboard just and the Apple Pencil just made complete sense for me in my life. And I have not looked back since. Like right. the, the iPad Pro is my favorite computer ever. Right, like you know, the current one that we have, because the iPad Pro keeps getting better and better. Right, like I don't uh, yearn for the 2015 iPad Pro the way that some people might yearn for a, a right. like a MacBook Air. Right, like we're we're still very much in the in the world of like this product continues to improve. So whatever is the current one is my favorite, but it's it just works for me. The, the iPad OS, iOS before it, right, like. It works in a way that makes sense to my brain. Um, it, it, I can make it sing the way that I want to, right? Like it, it, it works in ways that I can't really express, right? It, it, there are times where I know, I know not only that I can get things done faster with a Mac in some areas, like I know the way in which to do it. It's not like I'm held back for a lack of understanding macOS. 
but it is just pure preference in hardware and operating system where it's like I just enjoy this more and it is like the full package that I love and so now like I'm in right my business is run from an iPad and the Mac for me is a tool in the same way my microphone is right it is a very powerful piece of equipment that I use for a purpose but my computing my personal computing my business computing right all of the work that I'm doing that isn't sitting in front and recording or editing is all done on the iPad and I don't want it any other way like that is for me where the iPad sits like it is the most important computer in my life yeah I'm I don't think I'm as far along as you but I did as people to listen to the show will know I stopped using a Mac laptop basically entirely a few years ago um and it was a progression right like so much of what i used my laptop for at home especially when i was you know working in an office but even once i was working in my garage here i would have my macbook air in the living room or in the bedroom and i'd be like reading email and looking at twitter and reading web pages and all of that stuff was so easily replaced buy an iPad because just, it's so much more comfortable to I just think those exact things the, the an iPad is better than a Mac 4 like in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, well I mean, why do I need if I'm if I'm writing an email having a keyboard is better. But if I'm just sort of like the the things that I would do it's the evening, it's the weekend, I'm not intensely working but I am, you know, looking at Twitter and making, you know, little comments and answering quick emails and stuff like that. And it was just so easy for the iPad to replace the laptop there because I didn't need that laptop shape. It wasn't as convenient. Um, and and that had a knock-on effect, which was it meant that when I traveled, I wanted to travel with the iPad, which meant that I now had an iPad and a MacBook Air because I could just do it all on the MacBook Air. But, oh, it was so much nicer to watch videos on the iPad and to, you know, and to read Twitter on the iPad and all those things. So now I'm traveling with two devices. Next step is, why do I have two devices? Can I can I leave? I'm not I'm not leaving the iPad behind. Can I leave the MacBook behind? And there was a gradual process of like, what can I do on my iPad? And this is the pre iPad Pro time. I have a a very clear memory of sitting at uh, my in laws' uh, kitchen table, writing an article for MacWorld on um, the uh, that uh, that origami in case origami thing where you'd snap in an apple uh, bluetooth keyboard and then fold it back and put the ipad on it mm-hmm. and you got like a little like ipad case thing mm-hmm. um the the studio neat guys did their version their version of that with the canvas canvas is that what it's called canopy canopy that's it can whatever the canopy um and that was way before iPad Pro. That was, uh, but I, I remember that was me on a trip pushing, like, do I need to bring my laptop? Can I just use the iPad for this? And some of the stuff wasn't good enough. Some of the stuff wasn't ready. But it was, uh, it was me kind of pushing and exploring there. And then the iPad Pro comes along, and that helps a lot. And the smart keyboard and multitasking helped, and all of these things start to kind of like uh, to roll to the point where. Um, as we talked about on this podcast a lot, like other than recording some podcasts, which even then it's more possible now, like most of the reasons I would travel with a laptop just dropped away and the iPad pro was enough to the point where today I even edit, I've been editing um, the incomparable on the iPad using ferrite since last summer. 
Um, and this is not I just when you're traveling. This is just no, always. I, 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 there was the, we did our big clip show episode that I did on my Mac, and it was the first episode of The Incomparable I had edited on my Mac since June. Um, so I just, I, and the reason why it's not like on a dare, I dared myself to do it. <laughs> I did a little bit because I like Ferrite, and when I started using the Apple Pencil with Ferrite, I really enjoyed it, and I think it actually makes me a better editor. But, also, I edit The Incomparable on the weekend, and even though I work at home now and I could edit it on the Friday, I kind of like, it sort of fits in my life as a Saturday morning, usually sometimes Sunday morning, editing job that I do, and I and I wanted to do it in my house where my family is and not out closed up in the garage where I spent the week. And that was sort of a motivator to put it on the iPad, because the iPad is the thing that I use outside of my Mac at my mm-hmm. desk. Um, and that is sort of how the Mac has become defined to me. Similar to you, a little bit different because I do, I do work mostly at my desk during the day. I am writing not, sometimes I will switch to the iPad just to do my writing. Other times I'll just write at the desk, but everything else I do, I'm kind of at my, my iMac. But when I'm out of my office, whether it's traveling or just in the house, I'm using the iPad. So if I want to be in the house to edit the incomparable where we have like, uh, a heater and my family is there and it's more cozy then I need to do that on the iPad. So I do. Um, I, I, every now and then think to myself, like, would I abandon the Mac entirely or more than I do now? And I think it would be really hard. I think I would need a very strong motivation to do it because there are a lot of things I still just avoid on the iPad and say, I will do that when I'm back on my Mac. But I will say this, dating from 1990, so the last 30 years, the only two computer platforms, computer, I'm saying, I'm going to leave the smartphone out of it, that I have used, that I have embraced and have uh, gone deep into are the Mac, because I got my, I bought my first Mac in 1990 and the iPad. And I think that's meaningful because I've only used like four computing platforms in my life there are the you know the early days computers the, the first computer i had was a commodore pet the second computer i had was an apple 2e then i got a mac and i'm still using the mac 30 years later the only other operating system that has stuck with me and that has insinuated its its way into my life is the ipad i am also an ipad user and it just strikes me because i always thought of myself as a mac user for 30 years now a mac user that that was who I was. And, you know, I'm a multi-platform computer user and have been for like five years at least, and it's because of the iPad. So I have a loyalty to the iPad that is kind of unexpected, but here's here's where I am. Like, I, I ended up there um, for for a lot of reasons that I think, going back to that initial launch 10 years ago, are elaborated on in that keynote in certain ways. I can look back and say, I see where you're going with this, and I see why it fit with ultimately how I wanted to use a computer in my life. And uh, so, yeah, that's, I think Steve Jobs, I, you get a real sense when you watch Steve Jobs in that, that he knows that, you know, he's his health is questionable. How long am I going to be able to do this? Um, and that his glee in doing it, I think ties back to the original Mac premise, which is, this is a computer for the rest of us that like 
the iPad allows you to drop even more of the trappings of mm. personal computers, the the most recent generation of personal computers, Macs and PCs, and replace it with something new. Um, and I, you know, it's not replacing everything; those things still exist. But on another level, I, I think he wasn't wrong that this fulfills the same kind of thing they were trying to do when they brought brought out the Mac, and it was so different from the the command line computers of the time. The iPad was a, another attempt to do the exact same thing with the technology of 2010, which was now you don't need the keyboard and the mouse anymore either. We've put we've pushed it even further, and that's the thing that I walk away with ten years later. Most of all, is seeing Steve Jobs on that stage. Miss that guy. Really loved it when he came out and said good morning. It was really amazing every time he did it. And when he died, I remember thinking, I'm not going to get that that good morning from the PA system anymore. Um, but here he was making his, what turned out to be last definitive statement about the kind of the mission he'd been on all along, which was to take this technology and make it um, for, make it different and simpler and more intuitive for regular people. Cars and trucks. Yeah. Right. It's all cars and cars and trucks. You use, you use a truck now. Your Mac is a truck now. My, My Mac, Mac is, is kind of becoming more of a truck now. It's true. What was that? It was like at the D conference, right? When when yeah. Joe spoke about that, like yeah. that there can be space for both. The iPad is like a car. Most people just need a car, but every now and then you need a specific use case. You know, you're moving house. You need a truck. And I understand we are t- our podcast reaches a lot of truck di- truck drivers. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, first off, first off, literally, I have heard from them. Long haul truck drivers mm-hmm. listen to a lot of podcasts. We We're love big you. in the trucking industry. But second, metaphorical truck drivers also, mm-hmm. because computer people, like technical people, we have needs that are greater needs. We're both truck drivers. Yeah. Right. But metaphorical truck drivers. But yeah. We don't always yeah. need our trucks. Sometimes sometimes right. we just drive our cars. But I the truth is the smart license, the smartphone but, shows yeah. it, right? The smartphone yeah. shows it. Like everybody's almost everybody in the world's most important computer device by far is their phone. What right? is that like and a bird scooter or something? The iPhone? In no, this I metaphor? mean you could argue that it's the it's the 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 walking real, the real car, the basic car. Okay, but uh, but it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't do everything that uh, is supercomputery. So you, then you sometimes, but yeah, it's just uh, it's funny. Ten years, it's it's worth looking back. I think at at, uh, at again something that took me by surprise and became like the other computing platform that I'm uh, that I use a lot um, that I didn't really see it coming in a way. Yeah. I'm pleased that we spent some time talking about this today. Yeah. All right. Shall we, uh, should we do some ask upgrade to round up today's episode? It's a great idea. This episode is brought to you by Booz Allen. Modernizing for the future is a challenge, especially for large organizations. You may need to integrate legacy systems with new technology. You may need to incorporate AI and analytics to more, to work more efficiently and make fast decisions as well. And everyone needs new ways of thinking to move to what's next, whether for government, commercial goals, or more. Booz Allen understands and they're helping some of the world's largest organizations modernize. They understand the mission of government and industry and, they need, and the need to adapt to constant change, which we all feel, to provide open source solutions so clients can integrate innovation from anywhere, whether from visionary startups or major contractors. Plus, they're helping clients power new technologies with analytics. Because security is everyone's priority, they also integrate their capabilities of intelligence-grade cybersecurity. With Booz Allen, integration means putting you in control of innovation. Integrate, innovate, 
get it done with Booz Allen. Learn more at boozallen.com slash relay. That's boozallen.com slash relay. We'd like to think we'd like to thank, I should say, Booz Allen for their support of this show. And Jason, I will start our hashtag ask upgrade today. A question from Eric. And Eric has this question for me, which is I apologize for starting with a question for myself, but that's just the way that the Magic 8 Ball of Ask Upgrade has shaken out today. And Eric wants to know, Mike, now that you've had your uh, iPhone 11 Pro Max clear case for a few months, can you give a quick review of how it's going? Has it yellowed yet? Are the buttons any easier to press? Uh, Let me just say I do not use this case anymore, but I do have a long experience with it. I have switched to one of the OtterBox PopSocket cases um, because it's just cool to have a PopSocket constantly attached to my phone and the case is nice. Um, But I actually ended up wanting to move away from the the clear case. It didn't yellow. Honestly, I don't think it will. Uh, My mum had a uh, clear case for her iPhone what was the colored iPhone 5C? Yeah. Um, she had a clear case for that. I don't remember where we got it even. Was that that was the one that Apple made a clear case for, right? Oh, I don't remember. You, you do, testing my Apple I'm really trying knowledge. now. Like I'm I'm really reaching mm. back into history for that one. I'm not sure if they No, they made they didn't make a clear case for that phone. What am I talking about? I don't think they made clear cases until recently. They made a clear case for the 10R. This is what sure. I'm thinking of. The not colored, the 5C. Colored, bright colored. She had R, one sure. of the weird circular hole cases for the 5C. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah. She had right. one of those. Swiss cheese cases. The Swiss cheese case. But Bad she idea. did also have a clear case for her 10R, and this has had that long enough had mine, and that's working great. Um, there's there's no yellowing on that. The reason I mention it is because she's had that one for a couple of years now, and it's and it's perfect. So uh, there was no yellowing on mine either. I don't think the plastic's going to do that, honestly, with any in, in any like near space of time. But the buttons got a little bit easier to press, but it was still harder than the, ca- the buttons on the other cases. The main reason I changed is that clear case traps a ton of lint. All cases do, but you can't usually see it. So there was always dust and particles in the case in places that I would basically have to take the phone out to clean it. But as soon as I put it back in, in 10 minutes, it's collecting more lint again. So, you know, I like the idea of being able to see it. But then again, after a few months of owning the uh, the midnight green phone, I wasn't as excited about seeing the color all the time, right? <laughs> so didn't mind about switching to a different color case. I have like a blue uh, pop socket Otterbox case now, which I'm very the, happy um, I have a very quick answer to this question, which is my daughter has an iPhone 11, mm-hmm. and she has the clear case for it because she mm-hmm. wants to see the purple. And I asked her about it when we saw her last weekend, and she said she still likes it, and it's great. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's fine. I just didn't like the lint, but if you can, if that doesn't bother yeah. you, then go for it. Like, it's I think, cool and she's to got see she wants to see the purple. Although it's yeah. funny because she doesn't see as much of the purple because she's got one of those stick-on wallets on the back. Oh, okay. So it's it's a compromise, right? Like she wants to see the color. And it's it's really nice, but then she has to cover some of it up because she carries her stuff. It's like that was a that was a uh, deal breaker. Like she has to have she used to have a bendy iPhone case, and she had her cards in it. And on this one, it's not you can't really do that. So she got a thing that sticks on the back, mm. um, and it wears off after a while. So like she's on her second one now, but um, and, and she seems to like it. 
Um, I, I do wonder over time, as pretty as that purple phone is, if she might not be better off with like a, a case that's got a wallet built into it instead. But we'll see. Phil asks, what are your recommendations for password management? I'm currently using a password-protected Apple Note. Should probably shouldn't tell people that, Phil, but now all the upgradians know. Uh, I feel like I should be using something more secure. Jason, what do you use? One password. Yeah. I think that's the answer for right, most of us, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I started one of the smart things that they did is they there was a period um like a decade, a decade ago, maybe where they just gave it away. Like you could, any product you got and free one password, they were like bundled everywhere. Uh, but the smart thing is it got people using it. And then as they did updates, uh, they, you know, they converted those people into paying customers. And I started using it back then. And now I have a, you know, I have a family account and I share, you know, the one, the passwords that my wife and I both need are, are in the shared bundle and all that. And I just, I use it for, for uh, everything and, and notes, um, are secure in there and I put my passport information in there and like there's just although you think of it as an autofill password thing it is for everything like it is you can stick a bunch of encrypted stuff behind that password in one password it's very convenient I use one password too I think it's the best app out there I've trusted it for years right like for all of those reasons I have multiple team subscriptions now for business and personal right so diver team and family um, like just the whole shebang. They recently announced a significant investment, which is very new for them. The company had taken no investment, they've taken on an investment. Uh, and they appear to be going through some business changes because of this. Now, this isn't this stuff doesn't inherently mean that there's going to be a, a problem or a change, but things could change. They're, they're, what they want to do as a company could change because of this. Maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. We'll have to wait and see. So basically, I say this because it's like I'm I am choosing to reserve my judgment on this and evaluate one password over time to see if there's still the right thing for me. But like, I think that it is worth noting that whilst I still wholeheartedly recommend them, something has changed at one password, right? And we don't know what that's going to result in yet. But it is definitely like a fork in the road situation where it's like, do you carry on doing things the way you've been doing them forever or do you change your business? And they've decided to change their business. I'm really happy with all of the communication that's come out since the initial announcement. Um, but I still think it's something to worth keeping an eye on, right? For sure. Uh, Joshua asks, what are your top three personal favorite streaming services or platforms right now? Oh I don't think you have to do these in order. I haven't done these in order. Um, so I have Netflix, uh, Apple TV Plus, and YouTube. I'm choosing to count YouTube. I think it counts, right? Um, I also I don't have access to a lot of people's favorite ones right now because I'm in the United Kingdom. But these are the three that I use the most, right? I use YouTube, Netflix, and Apple TV Plus all the time. The, you know, YouTube and Netflix every single day. Apple TV Plus when they have a show that I want to watch. But content-wise, yeah. I've been happiest of Apple's content. Like, I love the content from, like, HBO, right? But we have to watch it on Now TV, which is a service that sucks. It's so bad. They're, like, the worst app of any streaming service. I hear people complaining about the apps of streaming services, and I'm like, ha, you've never used a Now TV app on Apple TV. It is an absolute disaster. Do you know how it looks, Jason? It looks like a front row app. Oh, no. It, they modeled it after front row. I am not kidding. It's like carousels Ooh. and just tiles. It is absolutely horrific. So 
that's run by Sky. They own Now TV. Like, if you don't have a Sky subscription, you can pay for a Now TV, like, entertainment package or whatever, which is how we get HBO stuff. So, what are your three? What are your favorites? Uh, well, at this point in time is really the key here. So, at this point in time, I'm watching Star Trek Picard on CBS All Access. So, it's there. I'm watching Letterkenny on Hulu. So, it's there. And I'm currently going through um, Sex Education Season 2, which is on Netflix. So I'll pick those three. Today, it'll be different it changes. in a week. Yeah, yeah, like I know that uh, in a couple of months' time, Disney Plus is going to be big in my house. I can't wait for it. For sure. But, and uh, if you would ask me while The Mandalorian was on, I would have said that. And Apple yep. TV Plus while For All Mankind was on, for sure. And this is the point, right? I don't think that it's necessarily the streaming platforms themselves. It is the content that is available. That's right. Glenn asks, do you ever think Apple OS would be a thing? I think no. Um, I think I, this is the speculation of like a unified Apple operating system for everything. Mm -hmm. And I will point you at iPad OS and say no. I feel like Apple philosophically thinks that uh, products should have their own tuned operating systems. And even if ultimately all of Apple's products are running a version of the same operating system, they will still... Um, brand them based on the device category that they're yeah. in, unless they have a major shift. So, like, even if they were to undergo a like transformation of the Mac, where they do a a, a variation of iPad OS that is more like the Mac, and they try to like call it, well, this is the new Mac OS. It's Mac OS 11 or whatever. Um, I, I don't think they would call it Apple OS. I think they'd still call it Mac OS, even if it wasn't the Mac anymore. So, like, I was very much on this train for a while, right? Feeling like that there's got to be a next generation thing. But I'm now feeling like it's not it's not the platforms them, themselves. It's, like, everything that goes on top of them now, which is Swift UI. I feel like Swift UI and those projects, the idea of, like, developing once and it can be interpreted on multiple platforms, that's more like what we were thinking a unified operating system would be, right? Because the idea is you would create a unified operating system so you only have to develop once. But now they're creating a system where you can develop once. I'm oversimplifying this, of course. You can develop once and then all of the separate platforms can interpret it in the way it needs to because of declarative UI, if if I'm remembering the phrases correctly. But that is more the kind of thing now, I think, where it's you can have all the platforms, but you only need to, you don't need to think as distinctly as you did before. And I think that that is, this might be the maximum or something like advancements of this type of technology, I think is the closest thing to unification now. I think Apple's making that quite clear. Where my my like previous feeling of like, oh, they're definitely going to unify one day, that has moved away in the sense of like, oh, well, really, they're just going to provide tools to make it easier to be on everything. Right? Yeah. Evan asks, if you could have modern day specs in any previous or current Macintosh form factor, which model and color would you choose? <laughs> Um, yeah, this is a hard one. Um, this was not hard for me at all, Jason. 
Well, I'm trying. Okay, Mike, you picked, you put your answer in the notes and yeah. it's the best answer. Oh, okay. Okay. Can I just say it then? So you say yours and then I will make something up. The iMac G4. Mm-hmm. It's the most amazing, in my opinion, like Mac hardware design that has ever lived. This was, if you're not familiar, the iMac that looked like a lamp. It just had a little base and then an articulating arm, which came out of the base, which had the monitor on it. So you had like so much flexibility in the way that you could um, move the monitor around, right? Like just just built into like way more than any product that Apple makes now, right? Because you could like adjust it to the exact height that you wanted. Uh, But also this computer just has so much personality to it in a non-cheesy way, right? Like, because it looks like the lamp from the Pixar animation, right? Like, that's what it looks like. And yep. I just imprint on that and just feel like this is so so cute and beautiful at the same time as being genuinely useful. So I would love Apple to come back to a design close to this. Like, I want an iMac with a built-in arm, right? <laughs> like, uh, right. like, you know, I, I, lo- I absolutely adore this design. I always have. And it still looks modern to me. Yep. I'm looking at way, one right now. Yeah. I have one in my office. It looks great, oh. yeah. It looks modern to me in a way that no other Mac does. Like, it looks more modern to me than Macs that came after it. Like, so, like you know, you can show me an iMac from 2012 and it looks older than this thing does. So, beautiful. It's just absolutely beautiful. I, I love it. Well, I'm tempted to say something like, uh, I want a Mac Pro, modern Mac Pro in a... Uh, you know, blue and white Power Mac G3 case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I'm going to be a little more serious and say I would love to have a modern day uh, Mac in the 11 inch MacBook Air. Like, I want a Retina screen and I want mm-hmm. modern processors in the 11 inch Air. Because when I use a Mac laptop, that is the laptop I use. I love it. It's small. The MacBook was close to it, but of course, it's been discontinued now and it only had the one port, which was a little bit silly. And the modern MacBook Air is a little bit bigger. Um, so, you know, I'll choose one of those. But the iMac G4, I think, is the right answer. I would love I would love an iMac or a iPad Studio kind of device yep. in with with its own little monitor arm, screen arm thing. I think something like that would be beautiful. iPad Studio is a lovely name. Mm. We're back in that room again. Making oh, no. suggestions to I Apple. can't find that ball right now, Mike. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Upgrade. If you want to find our show notes, go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 282. Thank you so much for everybody who sent in a question. If you want to send in a question for us to answer on the show, just send out a tweet with a hashtag AskUpgrade, and it will be included in a future episode or maybe. Uh, thanks so much to DoorDash, Pingdom, and Booz Allen. If you want to find Jason's work online, go to sixcolors.com. Uh, you should follow the Six Colors event Twitter account, right, for uh, information following along with the... Uh, yeah, Dan will do a blow-by-blow blow probably mm-hmm. of the uh, of the analyst call. So that's always a good one to have. Some charts there. Uh, it is a low-volume Twitter account that is high-volume at certain times, which I love for that reason, right? Like, when that account is fired up, you're going to see a lot of tweets from it, but then it's quiet. 
waiting, always sitting and waiting for a big event. But it's also really good for grabbing little quotes. So thank you to Dan for doing that. And uh, you'll be making charts, won't you? Like a big chart boy over at sixcolors.com. Oh, more charts this week than ever. Than ever. Yeah. Woo! Charts, charts, charts. Uh, you can find Jason online. He's at Jason L. I am at iMike. And uh, we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, Mike Hurley.